Hey, before, uh, before we uh, open up God's Word this morning, today, today is actually Jonah Welch's birthday today. Yeah, he, he snuck out the back. He's in the foyer back there. So uh, he's 17 uh, this morning, and uh, we're so proud of him. Uh, no, uh, he's back there, Summer. Make sure that you go not only tell him happy birthday, but how much you're thankful for him and his ministry to, to our church and to... Uh, those in the church, and if he's directly impacted you, make sure you go and tell him, tell him that today on, on, his, on his birthday. And uh, come back tonight, if you're uh, members, come back tonight. If you're a regular attender, you want to come back, you guys are more than welcome to, but we're going to have a, a time of, of prayer, a time of updates, and just uh, another opportunity to be with, with God's, God's people together uh, in God's house. So uh, that's at five, 5 o'clock. We'll go from, from 5 uh, to 6 o'clock. All right, open up your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our study on the church, as that's what is presented before us, the early church, or the first Christian church, or the the first fellowship, however you want to say it. But we're looking at uh, the defining marks of an effective church, and we know that the early church was very, very effective. And uh, so we've just been taking our time uh, going through this section, uh, 42 to 47, uh, in hopes to just gain understanding of how Redemption Hill Bible Church can be uh, an effective church, because we want to be a church that God wants us to be. And so uh, we're just kind of slowly working our way uh, through Acts, 40, Acts 2, 42, down to verse 47. Let me read it for us, um, and then we'll jump into uh, what it has to say, and in particular, what it says, has to say about singing and worshiping God through singing. But here's what it says. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our Heavenly Father, we get the privilege of opening up the Word of God and studying it. What a joy it is, as as Shay even reminded us of how the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can cut down and pierce the heart all the way down to the deep intentions of the heart, revealing to us where it is that we need to repent of sins, where it is that we need to trust you more, where it is that our hearts need to be softened, where it is that the word of God can encourage us. And Lord, we do pray for that this morning, that your word would be effective in our hearts and minds this morning. Not just for new information. We don't want just new information. We want information that leads to transformation, change lives. And so we pray towards that end, and we need the Holy Spirit to do that. So we ask for his help this morning with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when we uh, first moved into this church, which was about three, three years ago, now, uh, uh, Jonah and Shay and I were kind of rummaging through some of the, the older belongings of the church, and we came across 
the original blueprints uh, of the church. And when I say blueprints, that's exactly what they were. This was not a, uh, some software uh, printout. This was uh, the old blueprints that was kind of rolled up in the, into a scroll uh, about, about three feet wide, maybe f- uh, four feet uh, wide, maybe three feet uh, in depth. And, and we unrolled it, and the whole thing was blue, just like you would imagine blueprints would be. And it was the, the design of this sanctuary and some of the other, other rooms that were drawn out in the original dimensions of the church. And we found it fascinating because uh, uh, <clears throat> back then, Way back then, uh, in the 50s, uh, you actually had to use uh, rulers and you had to use those drafting compasses uh, that were used. And some of you are nodding your head saying, yeah, I remember that in geometry. Some of you are like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. I use a mouse and I click it uh, on, a, on a computer uh, to come up with these things. Uh, but what it had for us was the original drawings of what the church would look like. Uh, this was made to, so they could meet the code of the city, it could meet the code of the county, and so that in construction, you're actually getting what uh, you set out or endeavored to get. And I was thinking about that when it came to the church, uh, how, how it is that God has given to us in Acts 2, 42 to 47, the original blueprints of the church that God had designed for his people. He has laid out for us the exact measurements, the the foundation, the structure of the church. He has given to us an outline for us by which we're to to abide by so that we can be effective in the Christian life and so that the church can be effective for the kingdom of God. As you know, what God's concerned about is not necessarily the physical structure or the building What God's concerned about is the spiritual health of the church because the church is the people, not the building. So when we come together, it's important for us to go, okay, we've got the original blueprints. It's good for us to go back to these original blueprints and remind ourselves what it is that God wants. What does God desire from his church? Unfortunately, what just happened is this, is, is many churches have said, hey, those are great blueprints, God but I've got a new set of blueprints that I think will outdo your original set. I've got some modern things that you didn't consider, God, and I'm going to throw those in to the pot, and I'm going to make things even better than the original design. But I believe this, that if we as a church commit ourselves and devote ourselves to these things, God will honor that. God's favor will be upon that. And we will be effective as a church for the advancement of the kingdom of God here on earth and specifically right here in Bellevue and in Seattle. And so we're looking at these defining marks then of a a church that is effective and honoring to God. And we've been walking through this for a few weeks. And the first thing we notice is this, is that an effective church, number one, is a learning church. Look what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They came to the house of God. They came to the temple, and they said, teach us about Jesus. Teach us about the Old Testament. Teach us about the Messiah. They wanted to learn. They wanted to grow, and they devoted themselves to teaching. They didn't say, give us less teaching. Give us more of something else. No, they devoted themselves to theology. They devoted themselves to doctrine. They devoted themselves to understanding more truth, allowing those truths to sink into their hearts. 
Secondly, they devoted themselves to being a mutually caring church, or to, you can see it right there, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They believed this, and they understood this, is that they had a, a unity in Christ, and because they had a unity in Christ, they had a unity with one another, and they had a, a mutual care for one another. They had a love for one another, and this, this love for one another, it covered all different kinds of personalities. It covered all different kinds of habits, all different kinds of jobs and, and backgrounds, and they came together in the church, and they said this, I love Christ, you are in Christ, I am in Christ, therefore we can have a, 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 a togetherness or a fellowship with one another because of our unity in Christ. Out of that, out of that love for one another, there was a care and there was generosity, right? It even says there, they were even selling their possessions and their belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all who had need. They cared for one another financially. They cared for, for one another physically. It even says down there that they were generous with this. And all of this had a massive impact, spiritual impact on the community. They'd walk into church and they'd go, hey, you guys are together and centered around Christ, and you guys actually love one another. How do you love one another? Well, we understand the love that we have from God, and because of our love from God, we have a love for people. And so they were a mutually caring church, a generous church, a sacrificing church. Also this is that they were a communion-taking church. Look at it says, they were committed to the breaking of bread. Why were they com committed to this? Because it was an opportunity for them to be reminded physically as they would, they would hold the bread, they would hold the cup. It'd be a reminder of their unity that they have in Christ, that we are unified because of what Christ did for us on the cross. There's two ordinances in the church. One of them is communion and the other one is baptism. And both of those are the visible display of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're reminded of that sacrifice as they would take it together. They're reminded of that unity in Christ. And they're reminded this, of their unity with one another. We're united together because of Christ. And so they took this communion to remind them of that fellowship that they have and that communion they have with Christ and with one another. Number four is this. They were a praying church. They devoted themselves to the prayers. You could say this, that this was uh, the secret sauce of the early church. It really was no secret. Uh, in fact, it's no secret at all, but this is what they devoted themselves to because they believed that this is what would be the, the means by which God would empower them to do ministry. Through the Holy Spirit, they would depend on God. They would kneel before God in humility and they'd say, God, we cannot move until you move. They would pray together. They believe that this is the, the, the gasoline that, that runs the engine or the electricity that, that turns on the light bulb. This is the power uh, that gives the effectiveness of the church. And we're not talking about individual prayers. We're talking about corporate prayer, right? We talked about this is the opportunity for the church family to come together, either in, in a small group setting or in a large setting or even, even with somebody else over coffee. But, it, but, the, but you're praying together in dependence of God and wanting him to move and to move mightily through you, through your life, and through the church. And a praying church is a powerful church. And this is what the early church was committed to. They were committed to praying together. We saw that often 
and we'll see it again as we work our way through Acts, that they continually went back to this. They went back to praying. We don't know what to do. Okay, we're going to pray. God's about to move. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. Everything came back to praying. Which leads into this, number five. They were a worshiping church. A worshiping church. Now, I want you to see this progression here that is happening. Okay? I believe these are in the order that they are uh, for a specific reason. They, first of all, they came to gain knowledge. They came to gain understanding. Who are we? What are we doing? Teach us. Apostles teach us about Christ. Teach us about the Old Testament. When they understood that, they understood that they had a unique fellowship with Christ, a unique fellowship with one another. They were reminded of that in communion. They committed it all to prayer. Look at verse 43. Awe came upon every soul. Signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. They were recognizing that God is at work through their church, through their lives. It goes on to say that they believe they had all things in common. They're selling their possessions. Verse 45, distributing their proceeds to the poor. They're, they're now living a life of sacrifice and generosity to one another. They're doing this day by day. They're attending the temple. They're breaking bread. They have glad and generous hearts. And then look at verse 47, the first two words. What does it say? The overflow of all of this church life that is happening among them, all of this influence. They're seeing God at work. What do they do? They then what? They praise the Lord. That is the natural overflow of a believer who understands that God is at work in their lives and in the church. They're moved by God. Awe has come over their soul. They express it in praising God. It happens because they've learned about God. It's happened because they've committed their life to God through committing themselves to one another because they're in deep devotion with God and worship of God through their prayers that the overflow of this as they see God working is they can't help but praise the Lord with their words. This is the response of God's church when they understand what God is doing. That word for praise, you can see it there. You guys want to circle that word or, or uh, that phrase there, praising God. It's one that we're going to highlight this morning. In the original Greek, it means just what the word says, to praise, to extol. It also means this. It means to sing praises in honor of God. That's what the original word means. It means to sing praises in honor of God. Now, it's not very much farther that we see this also used in the book of Acts. In fact, uh, you can even stay right there in the next chapter. In chapter 3, it even says there that there's this, this lame beggar that is there. He's been lame in verse 2 in chapter 3, as it says, from birth, right? He gets carried away to the temple. He's there. Then then Peter is there, and they, they say to him in verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Immediately, he jumps to his feet and his ankles. We'll, we'll talk about this uh, in the coming weeks here, this incredible, this miracle that happens. But I want you to look at verse 8, chapter 3. And leaping up, 
He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him. And what was he doing? Walking and leaping and what? And praising God. And all the people saw him doing what? Walking and what? Praising God. What was the response of God at work in the heart and life of this man who from birth could not walk? He was so overjoyed, obviously, we all would have been. But the response of him was this, that I am going to sing forth the praises of God because of what he has done in my life. Was he ashamed? Not at all. Because the verse says, all recognize him as the one who is at the beautiful gate and all the people, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. He was just thrilled at what God had done in his life. Singing the praises, honoring God, worshiping God, letting the people know God did this. God has done this. God is at work. I am in awe of what God is doing. In Psalm 57, in verse 7, this was the heart of the psalmist. He says, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. And what does it say? I will sing and make music. In Psalm 145, in fact, I just want you to turn over to this. Uh, I wasn't going to do this, but this is important enough for us to see that. In Psalm 145, turn to Psalm 145 in your Bible. Psalm 145, all the way into the end of 150, it, it talks about these, these songs of hallelujah, these, these, these psalms of praise. In Psalm 145, verse 1 and 2, it says, I will extol you, my God and, and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and what? And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is un, unsearchable. He goes down in verse 4, 5, and 6, talking about the greatness of God. At the end of verse 6, I will declare your greatness. In verse 7, I, I, will, I, I shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and what? And shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse uh, chapter uh, 146. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will, what? I will sing praises to my God while I'm alive, while I can. We just sang this in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun, moon. Praise them, shining stars. Praise them, you highest heavens and, and you waters above the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he, he commanded that we were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall pass. Praise the Lord. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. What? His praise where? in the assembly of the godly. And then, of course, Psalm 150, 
Praise the Lord. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. It goes on to praise him with the trump and the lute and the harp and strings and cymbals and clashing cymbals. Praise the Lord. Why was the psalmist so desirous of his own heart praising the Lord and so desirous of God's people praising the Lord because it is the outward manifestation of our understanding of God at work in our lives and in the lives of people around us. This is what the church does. The church was created to worship God. The church was created to honor God. God gets all the glory. God gets all the praise when, 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 when our lives are transformed, when our minds are transformed. We take all that information as the early church did, all this awe and wonder that God has done. As it swept through the early church, the people could not help but sing praises to the Lord. You could not contain the early church. And look what happened in verse 47. It says they're praising God. Notice the overflow of this. And what happens next? In Acts 2, 47. And what? Having favor with all the people. This was a powerful testimony to the community. A powerful testimony to the community. They had favor with God's people. This act of worship. Expressing all that God was doing in their heart and in their lives. And they were barely even saved, but they understood the forgiveness of sins. They understood the gift of the Holy Spirit. They understood that God was at work and they wanted to let everybody know about it. And they, they, they shot forth in song. This morning, I don't want to talk about uh, the mode of worship. There's lots of different styles in worship. And I'm, I'm guessing if I took a poll here, everybody would have a little bit different style. I've heard it all, actually, since I've been uh, church planning. There's people who like the music much louder, and there's people who want the music much softer. There's people who want the drums louder. There's people who want the drums softer. There's people who want more electric. There's more people who want more natural. I, honestly, I've, I've heard it all. People who want more classical hymns, people who want modern hymns, people who want uh, songs written in the last 10 years, people who want songs that were written in the last 500 years. I, I've honestly heard it all. And, and the Bible doesn't speak to those things. But what it does speak to, church, and it's important for us to understand, is that it speaks to the heart of worship. That's what God cares about is the heart of worship. And I know there's, there's some churches that, that are on one side of the spectrum where it's really loud and it's really energetic and it's really emotional and it's really repetitive and there's that side of the spectrum over here and and uh, you're not sure if you walked into a church or you walked into a, a concert uh, on one side and then you had you have the other side here which is the pendulum swung way to the other side which is uh, you walk into a church and and you think you walked into a library and there's nothing going on and it it's like the living dead are there and you're wondering if the music is there to inspire them or to put them to sleep you just have no idea all right you've got these two extremes there We endeavor at our church to be a church that is both reverent and joyful, that is both theological and 
filled with energy. We are excited to sing together, not because of the beat, not because of how loud the music is or the style of the music. We're excited to sing together because we understand what God has done in and through our own lives and through the church. We're excited to sing and we've got energy in the church because we get what Christ has done for us on the cross. We understand salvation and we're reminded of these truths, even as the, the songs that we sang uh, even this morning. Christ is mine forevermore? Are you kidding me? He's mine forever? And that causes us to sing. It's not because of the volume. It's not because of the emotional experience. It's because of understanding the heart of worship. Let me just talk about worship here for a second because this is super important for us to understand as a church. When we talk about worship, and I've defined it for us up on the screen, worship is this. Worship is the work of acknowledging the greatness of our Lord. Okay, this is through the context of singing. Worship is honoring the worth of someone else. Worship is directed at God and no one else. Now get this, here it is. In every case, worship is active. It is something we do. It is not passive that we consume. Right? We don't go to the house of worship and then sit back and be consume, consumers of the service. That's not actually worship. Worship is active. We participate in it. We participate in the fellowship of worship. We participate in the giving of worship. We participate uh, in, in the, even the, the preaching time of the worship, sitting underneath the word of God. We participate uh, in the singing of worship. We participate in communion. We don't sit back and allow others to, to uh, worship while we just consume that, that's actually not worship at all. We participate in it. We come prepared to worship. We mentally engage the morning before we step into church. And I get it. I've driven in the minivan with four kids on the way down to church before. Things happen that you do not expect ever to happen in a minivan with four kids on the way to church. Even the morning before getting them out of bed. God wants you in church. Satan does not want you in church. And when you get there, God wants you to worship. Satan does not want you to worship. And it's a battle of preparation in the mind to say, I am coming to actively participate in being with God's people to worship the Lord. Jesus said this in Luke 4.8, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Worship is adoration and action. And we prepare ourselves for that on Sunday mornings because it is the time when God's people come together corporately 
where we take our individual days of worship and we bring them together, corporately together, in the household of God to worship him. John Piper says this, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in evident acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. Demonstrable acts of love. We come to church, we don't come to, for others to serve us, we come to serve someone else. There's multiple ways that you can do that on a Sunday morning. There's multiple ways to worship God. One of the one of the most obvious corporate ways is through praising God through our singing. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, you guys know the story well of the, the woman at the well. When, when, when Jesus said this, this statement, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in what? In what, church? Spirit and in what? Truth, right? Spirit and in truth. Two sides of a coin called worship. One side says spirit and one side says truth. And God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth, and it must be both. Okay, it must be both. It, uh, all worship, you can write this down, all worship is in response to truth. All worship is in response to truth. All right, worship's not an emotional exercise. Worship is a response to truth. And truth that is built upon one another. If we're going to truly worship God, then we must understand who he is. And worship is an expression of praise from our hearts to God as we understand more and more and more about who he is. That is worshiping him in truth. You cannot remove truth and add all kinds of feelings and all kinds of emotion and get together, get emotionally charged up and say, I'm worshiping God. You can't do that apart from truth. The absence of truth is the absence of true worship. And the more we understand truth, the better we can worship God. Pastor John MacArthur says this, the deeper your understanding of the truth of God, the deeper your understanding of God himself, the higher your worship goes. Worship is directly correlated to understanding. The richer your theology, the more full your grasp of biblical truth, the more elevated your worship becomes. Low understanding of God, superficial, shallow understanding of God leads to shallow, superficial, contentless worship. You begin to understand why we spend so much time in understanding what God's word has to say. Because we will become better worshipers by understanding the God of the Bible. 
But it's not only in truth. He also says this, you must worship him in spirit. What does that mean? That refers to the inner person of who we are. Our worship comes from the inside out. It comes from our hearts. It's not about being at a certain place. It's not about wearing the, a certain, certain clothes. It's not about the right beat. It's not about the right feeling. It's not about formalities or tradition, the right activity, the certain chords played in the song or the right mood. No, true worship comes from the heart. It works from the inside out, not the outside in. And we're moved in spirit because the truth resonates in our heart. It dwells in our hearts. And then the overflow of that is an act of worship. And it overflows in unashamed worship. And this isn't just something that you think about. Hey, when, I, when do I like to sing? You think about this. Alone in the car is when nobody can hear me. And boy, let me tell you, I turn it up and, and I let it go, Right? And you do that, why? Because you're in what? You're in a good mood, right? A good mood. What's a good, it's your attitude. Where does that come from? It comes from your heart, right? It comes from the inside out. You just had a conversation with someone that you really enjoyed. You burst out in song. You thought about someone. You met somebody. You, your team won a game. You, you got a raise. All these things produce this emotion in your heart that, that comes out in song. When God says worship him in spirit and in truth, as we take those truths, we internalize it, and we dwell on who God is and what God has done, we're reminded of the greatness of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, the sovereignty of God. While things aren't going great, God's still on his throne, and I can still worship him, and I burst out in song, and people know it, and they go, what in the world are you doing? You're saying, I'm praising the Lord. Yeah, but you're having a rough week. Yeah, but I'm praising the Lord because God's still on his throne. This is exactly what it says in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Here it is, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? Thankness in your hearts to God. And this is what happens when we worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't have the imbalance of, excuse me, of one and not the other. That's why we're careful to choose the songs that we sing here at Redemption Hill. We want them to be filled with truth, reminded of what God's done, and we don't want them to just all be touchy-feely, emotional songs devoid of any sort of truth to create a superficial atmosphere of worship. No, we want it to be filled with truth that creates an inner change in the heart that's expressed in song. Say, why is that? That's because the Father is seeking those who worship in both spirit and in truth. I want to give you guys here, and we we don't have much time here here left, but I want to give you uh, four reasons why we need to sing together. Let me give you four reasons why. And I know we're getting really practical here, but I think this is helpful for us as we move forward and as we grow as a church and as we, we learn these things. And Donald Whitney in his book, um, Disciplines of a Godly Church, is very helpful through this. But let me just give you four reasons why we need corporate worship. Number one is this, is that God 
is more clearly revealed in congregational worship than in private worship. I can remember when, I, when we first uh, started the church, someone came up to me and said, hey, yeah, I know you guys have a church. You're trying to get this thing going, but I, but I can go and worship in the woods. Literally, that's what they said. Literally, I can go worship in the woods. And I responded with, yeah, I can go worship on the golf course too. Like I can. I mean, there's times where it's not very worshipful, but I could get there to a point of worship. Right? We can individually worship anywhere. I'm not denying that. Privately, we can worship in the car. We can worship at home. We can worship on a hike. And we should actually be worshiping in all those places. So why do I need to go to church to worship if I can do that individually? Here's why it's important for you to be in church to worship. Together with God's people because of this. You will not hear the message of salvation. You will not hear the gospel. You will not be reminded of the character of who God is, his love, his grace, and forgiveness while you're out on a hike, but you will hear the gospel in church. You will be reminded of salvation in church. You'll be reminded of what Christ has done for you sitting underneath the word of God. And if you really want to worship God, you can do no better. If you really want to worship God, you can do no better than being with God's people to do that. And God is clearly more revealed when we're coming together to worship him corporately than he is individually. You can't serve one another on your own. You can't give generously to one another on your own. But when you come together with God's people or reminded of what Christ has done to you as you sit underneath the word of God and you're motivated then to worship God in ways that you can't individually. And when we break from here, you go out and you worship and you go out and you get inspired and you, and you go out and you, and, you, and you evangelize the lost. You come back together and corporately we come together and we worship, we worship the Lord together. Secondly, and we'll keep building upon this, but secondly, think about this. God receives greater glory in congregational worship than in private worship. God receives greater glory in congregational worship than in private worship. As we come together and we sing and we display the glory of God in our lives, it is in greater ways that God is glorified than if we were to do that outside the church on our own, on a hike, wherever we're at. Let me say it this way, in in the the privacy of my home and with my family. And I say to my wife, Aaron, she's not here, but I'm gonna look as if she is. Aaron, she'll be here for the second service. She's serving right now. I love you and I'm so thankful for you. You do such a good job as both a wife and a mother. And I praise her in the privacy of my home. But if I stand up in front of you and she's sitting right there and I say that same thing that I, that I just said, Would she not receive a greater honor because it was in front of everybody and displayed publicly than it would be in the privacy of the home? Yeah, it would. In the same way, in the privacy of our home, we give God glory, but when we come together corporately and we are praising God and we are worshiping God and we're unashamedly saying to God, I love you, I worship you, I'm here to serve you, how great is the Lord, that brings him a greater glory as we do that together and a greater honor. 
than if we were to do that in the privacy of our own home. And just to think, church, just to think that every Sunday we get the opportunity to come together and to give God a greater glory than I could throughout the week on my own? Where else do I want to be on Sunday? Where I can give God glory being with God's people in a greater capacity than I could on my own. Number three is this. God's people are edified more in congregational worship than in private worship. Here's the great blessing of participating in worshiping God vertically, right? We all come in here and our mindset is where? It's on God, right? It's vertical, right? We have this vertical worship towards God. But as we're vertical in our worship, the overflow of that is this lateral encouragement towards one another. I get to impact people laterally by focusing my worship vertically. Isn't that amazing? As I sing songs, as I worship, as I give, as I, as I serve one another. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good, good works, not neglecting to, meet, neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, I know we come together, and immediately the assumption is this. Everybody must have had a great week. I mean, you guys look like you had a great week. I mean, all of you look like you had a great week. But the reality is this. Not everybody had a great week. Some of us had horrible weeks. Maybe you lost your job this week. Maybe something happened medically this week. We just don't know. And when you come to church and your mindset is, is I'm going to worship God, you become instantaneously an encouragement to those laterally. To that widow who's been alone all week, she comes to church with the expectation that there's brothers and sisters that are going to come here and their focus is going to be on God. And the overflow of that is she gets to be amongst the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ to love on her and to care on her for an hour and a half. To that young adult that's figuring out the Christian life, who's questioning the Christian life, and they come to church, and you get to be a visible encouragement to that young adult who just had a rough week by the way you serve them, by the way you love on them, by the way you fellowship to them, and by the way you sing. That is of great encouragement to them. To those high school kids who come in here, they're not even saved. Those junior hires who come in and they're not even saved, you get to have an impact on them by the way you worship vertically to God. May we never be a consumer church. We get to encourage and extol and, 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 and come selflessly to church to be an encouragement to somebody else. So yeah, we're going to ask you to come early to make coffee we're going to ask you to go serve in the kids' ministry. We're going to ask you to shake hands with people. Why? Because you get to, to help the kingdom of God here on earth in this church, and you get to worship God and be a blessing to somebody who's hurting, be an encouragement to somebody who needs to be encouraged. 
God's people are more edified when we do that together than we do that individually. Last one, number four, congregational worship is more like heaven than private worship. Somebody has said this, it's like a dress rehearsal for heaven. We're just warming up. I was thinking to myself this week, I don't think there's going to be people in heaven who are just like, I'm going to sit this one out. I don't know what you're doing over there, but this one I'm sitting out. I'm just going to go hang out somewhere over in eternity, somewhere else. You guys go, hey, that's not happening. I'm going to take this one off. That's not happening in heaven. We get the dress rehearsal time. When we get ready to heaven, where we get to just cast all of the glory and honor onto God face to face. And right here with God's people, we get to do that each and every week. Let me just encourage you, church. As your pastor, you guys do such a good job already. I want to tell you that. You do such a good job. So many people are encouraged when they come to this church. You do such a good job. And the encouragement here is just to excel excel still more, right? Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep growing in Christ. Keep worshiping in spirit and in truth. Keep encouraging one another. Keep loving one another. You guys are doing it, and let's keep doing it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Obviously, I get, I get passionate about this stuff because it works. And when we do church the right way, it works. When we love one another the right way, you're honored and glorified when we sing how you want us to sing you're honored and you're glorified and when we love one another you're honored and glorified and we just want to be a church that takes the blueprint and starts grabbing the shovel grabbing the hammer and getting to work to build your church the way you designed it to be and lord would you please bless us for our efforts encourage us even this morning, being with God's people, being refreshed, as we even read in, in Romans, to just be refreshed this morning. For some, it's been, a, it's been a hard week. For some, it's been a great week. And we're just here together to focus our attention on you and, and for a moment get a glimpse into heaven to see what it's going to be like to worship you. And the overflow of that is encouragement towards one another and so would you refresh us and encourage us even before we leave to go out into our week we love you lord and we're so thankful for the church in jesus name amen